Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Hello everyone, my name is Maccabee Griffin. I am running solo today because uh, Miss Marcella had a doctor's appointment, but everything's good. And uh, it's gonna be pretty simple with this today. I'm not holding too much against our next guest because, you know, the Army-Navy thing. The only reason why I'm not is because of the fact that he was a Vietnam vet. So I have so much respect for these these gentlemen and uh, women that were part of this. There was a lot of different things going on back then comparative to anything as of today. There was a lot of heat, not only back in Vietnam, but a lot of it was still within the streets itself as well here in the States. So they have so much respect for me. And the reason why I'm saying this is because the book that we're going to be talking about with Mr. Andre Lewis Carter here is called Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. And it does take place around the Vietnam era, and it deals with a lot of different things that are coming up, but I'm not going to get into it because I'm going to bring in the Afro-Cuban himself, Mr. Andre Lewis Carter. Mr. Andre, welcome to the show. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. And I, you know, you're, you're army, but you're a good guy. So it, it's cool. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So we always do this thing where we ask you just introduce yourself, but really want to know something that we can't find about you on the internet. Oh, okay. Name's Andre Lewis Carter. In addition to being in the military, I was, I've also written the whole time that I was in the military. So I've been publishing things since 94 so poetry, short stories, and this is my first novel. I didn't put a lot of stuff on there about where I come from, that kind of stuff. So I'm born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Only been back to visit. <laughs> didn't live there. My wife's from L.A. And she said, oh, no, they, we, we can't live here, honey. Okay, so, <laughs> I can understand why. Yeah. I can definitely understand why. Yeah, and, and that's another reason why I enlisted is to get away from Ohio. So, oh, um, I thought you were about to say the why for a second. No, <laughs> no. That, that's why I'm not there. So I can stay with the wife. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I thought what's funny is that when you go into the beginning of your book, mm -hmm. right under your under your picture, um, there's a part of it that states that he is married to a very patient woman who occasionally tells dirty jokes. Yes. Yeah, so this is one of the things I really like about you and the way that you had presented this is the mm -hmm. fact that if you know that you have a good woman in your yeah. life, mm -hmm. when she can just be as bad as you can be on literally anything and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, she, she's, she was a sailor too. So. Yeah. Oh dear sweet yeah. baby Jesus. I don't know if I could deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's just go straight into this book because okay. Again, great book. Thank There's you. a lot of different things that go on within this book, but mm -hmm. we're just going to hit the beginning part of this because I think there's a lot more in that mm -hmm. 
that just really sets up our protagonist, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Caesar. Yeah. And Caesar Jr. is the, mm-hmm. the protagonist. But I want to talk about Senior Senior. Caesar Sr., say that uh-huh. three times yeah. fast, and Annabelle, because mm-hmm. his family bloodline is from Cuba, mm-hmm. correct? Right. And the one thing I thought was interesting was the relationship when it came to the the ideologies of whether or not they're going to support the revolutionary mm-hmm. side of it, or are they going to to stay with the aristocrats. And mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of confusing in a way because you stated that they always got into fights about this. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, like, what was really the beginning point of these arguments, per se? Mm-hmm. What was the fuel that really set that on there mm-hmm. from an architectural point of view? Was it more something that they saw? Was it something that they were getting from the families? It's something that they saw. Cesar Sr. was a manager in a tobacco factory and he saw himself as one of the aristocratic folks and his wife cleaned houses and she saw how these people lived and treated their servants and that was the catalyst for her that it's go toward the revolutionary thought but they left because he saw himself as one of those people and the revolutionaries would have seen him as one of those folks and they had a baby now. So they left. And I thought it was interesting because in my mind, when I'm thinking of a guy that's a, a floor manager mm-hmm. who, as Annabelle puts it, you're not the jefe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You are a floor manager at mm-hmm. a cigar factory. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting to me because if I was in that position, mm-hmm you would be around it all the time. You would be around all these laborers having to deal with this life. He's one of those guys that started there and then worked his way up to floor manager. So, you know, he saw himself as above those people now. So it was basically just because he got promoted into being the part of the lower part of the management. Right. But in his mind, it's like, I'm making more money. I'm middle class now. Right. So that means I'm part of that. So it was mm-hmm. more closer to the greed that was really pushing him towards the aristocrats than yeah. anything else. Yeah. That's, okay. That's that makes sense. That really does make sense. Because in my mind, when I was reading, it, I was like, man, I would think they would both be on the revolutionary side because mm-hmm. of seeing their friends or seeing his mm-hmm. old companions being treated a certain way. Mm-hmm. And well, he- you know, there's always those folks that they see people that, you know, supposedly above them and they want to be one of them. They, they don't think about how people are being treated. They just think about themselves. Yeah. And that's what I, that made sense, too, because when they got on the last plane prior to the gorillas getting to, I'm presuming, Havana, because historically that's where the last planes were at because Havana was all the way on the other side of the island. So for me, I was always thinking, because Caesar Jr. looks at it as like, I'm riding a plane for the first time. Yeah. And I'm going to tell my friends Mm -hmm. we're going to get back because he has no clue what's going on because he's 40 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I was always looking at it as, and I wanted to get your insight into it too. Mm -hmm what was the relationship after they got into Florida between Annabelle and Caesar senior? 
-hmm. Was there any, what's the word I want to say, tense moments within that Mm -hmm. because of that decision? Yeah, as I said in the book, she was a good wife uh, by traditional means because you know that you have the machismo, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. she said, okay, well, I'll I'll go with you and wherever you want to live, I'll live with you. I'm sure they still argued, yeah, because. Well, (laughs) you know, they also made sweet loving after that too, every time. Yeah. What what was the statement? But but he actually died not long after they arrived in the States. Yeah, I was about to say, like, in your mindset, how long do you think it was prior to him from the point that they landed mm-hmm. to the point where he passed away? And was it of natural causes or did something happen? It's within a year of them arriving. And uh, yeah, it was natural causes. <laughs> yeah, he had a stroke or something. Uh, he's under a lot of stress, you know. He had yeah. to leave his country. And now he's someplace where the you know English is the uh, main language. So, yeah. And he had to find a job and mm. all those headaches. Yeah, because I figured it was going to be something like a stroke or something. But, mm. you know, it's it's always good to ask the author just in case they want to mm. set something up later on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for me, I, I thought it was interesting that the one statement he really told her mm-hmm. prior to his death was, don't move into the Afro-Cuban community. Mm-hmm. What was so different about the regular Cuban community comparative to the Afro-Cuban community? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, there was an Afro-Cuban community in Orlando, which is where he decided to go because he thought there would be less crime there. So it's not that he wanted to be separated from his people, but Miami, he just didn't feel like that was a good place for his son to grow up. Now, of course, he was wrong because <laughs> crime is everywhere. And, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. Okay, so the Afro-Cuban community was considered more Miami than it was Orlando? Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, I've never heard that before, so that's Mm -hmm. another reason why I was asking, because I was like, what's so different between these communities Mm -hmm. that they would act like, that he would make this statement Mm -hmm. in his, was it his will, or is it just his last promise to her? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's not so much that, uh, because... Cubans are more, more, what's the word, uh, homogenous than Americans. So the fact that you're white or black or whatever, if you're Cuban, you're Cuban. So that's the way they look at it. Or as, as Fluffy put it at one point, it's like, look, Ma, they make them in this color too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the reason why I'm asking these questions is mm-hmm. because we're always looking at these characters in a certain way. What's pushing them? What is the situation that's really making them do the things that they're doing, Mm -hmm. react a certain way to the situation itself? Majority of the time, it comes from something within the family. Yeah. And so asking those questions are always great because one of the questions that Marcella always asks is how much of these characters Mm -hmm. are based off of you, family members, friends, or anything like that? There are some, but I was in the Navy for 30 years, so I met so many characters, you know, and I'm a people watcher. That's, I think most writers are. So mm-hmm. it's a big hodgepodge of people that I've known. I entered the Navy to escape from where I was, and he's entering the Navy to escape. So there are some parallels, but I, he's definitely not me. No. 
I was about to say, I, I'm pretty sure you're not the one stealing money from no, gangsters no. off the south side of, yeah. of Orlando. <laughs> mm-hmm. <No>. um, <laughs> I was always thinking, it was like, I bet you Andre was more of Sergey than anybody else. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah. Sergey is the recruiter at the beginning of the book that gets young Caesar into the Navy itself. Yeah. He actually does a lot of things he should have done. Right. Yeah. Calls yeah. in some favors and everything else because this takes place prior to Christmas, if I remember correctly. Right. It's uh, late November. Is there a certain reason why you wanted to do it more towards November than any other time? Is that just a, it was just out of the blue? It was like, ah, I'm just going to do November. Because no, they saw little under a year when the climax happens, the ride aboard the ship happens. So I wanted to build up to how he got there. Gotcha. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit about Mr. Mike, who is, would you consider him an antagonist? He's, yes, he's an antagonist and he's pretty much a monster, although there is a reason why. Mm. He's a monster. So, but but yeah, he, he's definitely the yin to Cezanne Jiang. So, give us a little bit of an insight into what makes Mister Mike such a monster in itself, and why. Okay, there's a. I give his backstory to, uh, and he was in a loving family, etc. And one day, his father didn't come back home, so his mother and he are left there. She had a job that didn't pay very well. And his family would not take care of her. So they ended up homeless. They were on the street. And she ends up being killed by someone they trusted. And that, like, opened the door for him that, okay, it's me against everybody in the world. And I'm going to make the world pay. And that's how he viewed his life. So what kind of gangster was he? Was he more into the smuggling, the drugs, prostitution? Because I, I know at the beginning, it really doesn't give us so much of an insight, but we just mm-hmm. know that Caesar takes about, what, $500 from him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was the major thing that Mr. Mike was involved in for but, for him to just run? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the reason he was running is because he dropped a dime on Mr. Mike he was coerced into dropping a dime on Mr. Mike. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, Mr. Mike would, he get, actually worked for the cartel. He wasn't a member of the cartel. He was way down on the totem pole. But yeah, so drugs were the main thing, which is also why he brutalized people because that seems to be what they do. So what inspired you to actually tell this story? Was it merely just something that you've always wanted to be telling for a long time, or was there something specific that just made you want to go, I'm going to write this story finally? No, actually, I usually start with a character and a situation. The idea of a young man trying to escape a bad situation, if I could say the title Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea is a nautical term for a conundrum, meaning you have a bunch of choices, but none of them are good. And he makes that choice to escape Mr. Mike's wrath. So it, it built up from there. So I have to think about, well, I have this situation. Where am I going to start the story? Because, you know, you have the flashbacks, et cetera, to completely round the story. And yeah, as outside the recruiter's office was the perfect place to start. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the very first thing we saw was Caesar out on the streets mm -hmm. waiting at the Navy recruiter's office mm -hmm. real early in the morning, and he's just terrified that he's going to be found right. by Mr. Yeah. Mike. Mm -hmm. And to me, when I was looking at this, I was like, this is insane. Mm -hmm. He was terrified. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. the reason why I was asking a, about what made Mr. Mike so much of an antagonist that he was just so yeah. terrified. It was almost like he was afraid of the mafia. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in that neighborhood, Mr. Mike was the, was the, the man and, he treated Cesar like family as much as those folks would do. And Cesar dropped a dime on him. And, he, you know, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah. You don't. Loyalty is loyalty. You, you right. don't turn against the family. Right. It's, that's just mobster 101. Yeah. yeah. If, if Godfather taught us anything, is <laughs> never turn on the family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I really wanted to understand in terms of that situation was mm -hmm. the after effect of them searching for him and mm -hmm. how Mr. Mike, like this was a personal vendetta. Yes. Yeah. Comparative. It's not business. This no. is personal. Yes. So he, he was one of his soldiers and yeah. He, and you know, folks like that, they do have an ego and it's just like nobody is going to do this to me. Number one, because I killed him, but also he just, you know, he's the man. So no one's going to cross him like that. Right. I didn't know if he was really getting any pressure from now the cartel. Right. Right. Comparative to just him doing it for a personal vendetta. Yeah. I, I, I did imply that I think, well, I think I implied that, but yes. The, yeah, you did. Yeah, the uh, cartel is definitely interested in that situation. They want to know how he's going to solve that problem because, you know, if he goes to jail, of course. <laughs> they lose. Are, yeah. yeah. So and they'd have to set somebody else up. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean. It's like, if there's one thing when it comes to this stuff we've all learned from these true crimes, it's hard to set something up again. Mm -hmm. You have to go through all the, the loops and the hoops and everything just to get it in there yeah. and then resettle, move people around, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So after all that's said and done, mm -hmm. Sager gets him into the Navy. He pulls the mm -hmm. strings. He gets him in before Christmas, mm -hmm. but it's how he got to the APHIS yeah. that was interesting to me. Can you explain <laughs> that situation for our listeners? Yeah. Back in the day, I'm, I'm not sure if they still do it now, but re recruiters would gather up a, a group of people. That's, that's when they called you to go to the area. And they would put them up in a motel. And being young teenagers... Well, what do you do? You go out and buy booze because it was legal where I was and get wasted. <laughs> and a lot of folks had hangovers when we finally, I, I was actually there for four days. So, you know, you, you can get into a lot of stuff in four days. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I only had to do with the two days, I think, mm -hmm. between from it back then it was called AFES, A F E E S. Mm -hmm. And that is let me get, see if I can get this. Armed Forces Entrance and Exam. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Because they call it MEPS when I came in, which is okay. Military Entrance Station. Okay. Or services. Excuse me. But it was very interesting because this guy is drunk as can be. Mm -hmm. He's passed out on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> he gets there. And to me, it was like, really? These guys are like way too nice. <laughs> Because I remember when I went through with the maps, mm -hmm. they were somewhat nice, but they were stern as can be. He's like, mm -hmm. no, you get there, you do do it. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting. It was like, because I always thought it was like the same way with you guys. Like, get off my bus, get off my van, get it in mm -hmm. line, get everything mm -hmm. set up and everything. Mm -hmm. But the way that you pictured it and this, it was like, oh, I got to hear some type of experience from Andre on this one. Okay. Because again, Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And you went in 1975. Yes. Okay. okay. I went in <laughs> in 2005. So mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a difference in, right, in time right. frame, mm -hmm. but it was how he got off of there. And how did he get off the van? He actually as you said, was hung over bad. And he looks out the window and sees this woman. And he's just like, wow. And he wants to go, you know, talk some smack to her. But he's so hung over that he trips and falls on his face as he gets out of the van, which, of course, she doesn't find a really smooth move. And plus, he looks pretty, pretty disheveled because, as you said, he passed out the night before. So, yeah, he's he's not looking good when he gets there honestly i actually thought that he was in trouble mm. still back in when he woke up mm. because the way that you paint it mm -hmm. it's like is this guy already in deep crap right now mm. he's already missed the van and now he's got a body that he's laying on because mm -hmm. he reaches up and the only thing he he feels is like a buttocks yeah right and yeah. that's it i'm like just like oh okay. no <laughs> yeah what did i do yeah exactly he's, he's all blacked out I, as you can see in the book he has a trouble trouble with alcohol so that that was the introduction to that so where did that trait come from was that something that was just how he he just learned off the streets or did mm -hmm. he find that through his dad going through this his family going through this entire issue of mm -hmm. immigrating to the states well he was so young when his father died that yeah he learned most of his bad habits from the street so in my neighborhood is like a rite of passage to get drunk you know as soon as you could so pretty much yeah pretty yeah. much so what happened to his mom? Because it wasn't much longer after his dad died that his mom passed away. No, actually, it was a while. Okay. She had passed away recently. So like oh, okay. a year before or something like that. Okay. He was still missing her. He, yeah, we definitely see that at the beginning. He is like, his mom was his world. Yeah. yeah. For, in the sense. Um, but when we get into the station itself mm -hmm. and he's starting to get lined up and ready to go mm -hmm. and 
they're setting everything up. How much of what he was going through was close to exactly what you went through? Well, you're in a room with all these strangers and a bunch of folks that you didn't grow up with. My neighborhood was mostly black. So there was all these white people walking around and, but there was also indigenous tribe members. And so I was kind of just kind of overwhelmed by the, uh, the whole thing. Yeah, because when he actually comes in, he's shocked, mm-hmm. even at the motel, and he sees these white guys in the bar mm-hmm. just yeah. waving him in to come in. He's like, there's white people? Yeah. yeah. In the Navy? In the, they, yeah. I did. He, he hadn't thought that far ahead, yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious because he saw the old World War II p- posters yeah. in the recruiting area. Mm-hmm. But yet, his recruiter was black, too. So yeah. Yeah. that made it interesting as well. So mm-hmm. I was like, that doesn't make sense. And then I realized like, if you've just been around Cubans all your life, more mm-hmm. to the darker side of Cubans, mm-hmm. you really don't see a lot of white people. No. no so you... this was a huge culture shock, even for yeah. him at that moment. Yeah. Okay. So he pretty much stuck to his neighborhood because that's where Mr. Mike had the power and working for Mr. Mike, nobody messed with you. So he had the entire experience everything is new to him. So, yeah, man, he never even stayed in a motel before. So that was new to him. So there's a coming of age along with the redemption in the story. Yeah. You you definitely see that straight from the beginning of this whole Mm -hmm. idea of like, I'm going in an entirely different world that I've never dealt with before. Which he figures no one would follow him into the military. Which later on we figure there's there's some other things in there I don't want to give away because there's it's mm-hmm. too good to to give away. But my final question in regards to the the book itself mm-hmm. was really just the interactions between them at the station prior mm-hmm. to them going through all the exams and everything else. Because mm-hmm. even the lieutenants looking at him like, my God, what <laughs> happened to you, man? Yeah. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like in, the interaction is so different mm. comparatively to reality sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to see if there was, is this really like what it was like for you to go through at that time? No. And you have to remember, this is most of this is through Cesar's eyes. And mm-hmm. as I said, he's not experienced in anything. So how bad it was might not really have registered with them. He just figured that's the way it is. So he was more concerned with the people around him than the actual process. Now, no, for me, the process, as I said, was overwhelming. It would they ask you all these questions. They would they take blood or give me a shot or something. But yeah, it was pretty involving. <laughs> I think one of the statements that I love the most out of that that last scene, that right there, mm-hmm. uh, not last scene, but the one one of the scenes was I don't remember if it was the lieutenant or if it was one of the petty officers, but he mm-hmm. stated that I don't care if you have smoked pot. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a urine sample just as long as you don't do it after that kind yeah. of thing. And that, that's that's literal. That was, uh, yeah, they put you in a room. They say, okay, here's your last chance. You know, anything you got, any contraband you got, put it in the box. And you start clean from there. 
And, you know, that's that's a great way to, to end this, because when I went through, that's mm-hmm. exactly the same way. It was like mm-hmm. one of those things like, oh, you can have the time of your life mm-hmm. prior to right. uh, in the motels and everything else. Right. Have blast, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But once you're on that van mm-hmm. and you get to us, that's it. Yeah. You're done. That's, you yeah. you belong to us once you start signing those dotted lines. Right. Yeah. So this is time in the show where Marcella usually has her great questions that she asks the authors. So I'm going to have to do it myself. Okay. And I'll probably get some feedback from her. Like you're doing it wrong. <laughs> this is not right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she'll probably get me on after that too. Um, so the first question that she always asks is what is your writing kryptonite? For me, it's actually time, and that has to do with some of some gifts I got from being 30 years in the Navy. So I have some issues with my stamina. And of course, I am married, so I have family. So finding the time to do some quality work. What I used to do prior to the pandemic, I actually went to the public library or Starbucks or somewhere for three or four hours and just immerse myself in the story. But since the, since the pandemic, I've been writing at home, and that's that's a little more challenging. Yeah, I I think Mr. J.V. Hillard said the same thing last week. Instead, mm-hmm. it was more of, it's not the family, it's the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's the reason why he went to the, the coffee shops and everything, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Uh, second question. Mm-hmm. Is there a quote or a person or song, artist, whatever the case may be, that inspires you to continue writing? Oh. Uh, Man, James Baldwin and Toni Morrison. I mean, Toni Morrison, she says she really became started because you know she started as an editor, and she really started writing books because she, she could couldn't find books about things that she wanted to read about. So she started writing those things, and that really had a big impact on me. They always say, "Write what you know." Mm-hmm. So why not? Yeah. One of the five questions, mm-hmm. what's next for you? Right now, I'm finishing up a screenplay, not of this book, maybe in the future, and I started my second novel. So we've come to the point where we just call it the shameless promotion corner. <laughs> okay. Please tell everybody where they can find you if you have any events coming up. Mm-hmm. And the floor is yours. Okay. I do have a website and there's links to the book, et cetera, but you can find it at the usual suspects, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, online or the brick and mortar books. For people who live in Portland, you can find it at, I think it's Crown Bookstore, but it's it's a local local bookstore that's one of the largest in the United States. So you can find it there. And I also have Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. So I share my information there as well. Uh, but as far as things coming up, I just have some more podcast interviews that I'm doing. I've only had one live reading since the pandemic, and that was at the, at the library where I wrote part of the book. But yeah, so you can find me on social media and then my website. You can actually leave questions for me on those platforms, and you can send an email to me through my website as well. Andre, thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate your service and wish you well. All right. 
normally this is where me and Marcella put in our two cents. Well, I put in my two cents. She is up to like $200,000 worth of an opinion right now. It's an endless thing. She knows what she's worth and she says it every time. I just tried to be the extreme for her. So for me, if you like historical fiction and dealing with true crime, military, everything in between with that, this is a really good book. Um, I would honestly give it a four out of five right now. And honestly, yeah, go find it, get it. It's a great read. It's an easy read. And, you know, it's something that I think everybody needs to have on their shelf. This is definitely one of those that's on my shelf already. So go out, find it, support our author here, Mr. Andre Lewis Carter, and just celebrate his, his novel with everybody else around you. And as I always say, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.